Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Club Cricket Podcast in association with Nat West. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the Editor-in-Chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine, Phil Walker. Phil, how's it going? Yeah, good, Yes. Thank you for your, your, your weekly question of how I'm getting on. It's pretty much the same as it ever is. I'm sitting in my chair, just looking out the window, waiting for the season, waiting forever for the season. I think there's been some suggestions that uh, that July might be a time when we can actually get our teeth back into this thing. There's certainly been, I think, a change of emphasis uh, around this this story in the last few days. But we still wait for, for official confirmation from the ECB. Long way to go. It's still only April. This week, Phil and I will be talking about remarkable acts of sportsmanship and the opposite, acts, of, acts that perhaps demonstrate questionable moral integrity. Uh, we'll start with the positives, Phil. What's the most imp- what's the most sporting act that you've seen on a cricket field in a game that you've played in yourself? Well, you sprang this one on me this morning, um, but I fear that even if I'd had a week to think about it, I might have struggled to come up with one or two more than than I've got. The, the one that sticks in my mind took place uh, just last year, actually, in a game that I was playing in, and this was a second team game, so. Uh, unfortunately, we had to share the umpiring around, as happens at that level. Uh, but for this one week, we'd actually we'd actually got our own umpire in, somebody from our club. And in his efforts to appear to be neutral in his decision-making, he gave out our opening batsman with an LBW decision that was beyond laughable. And I was at the other end at the time. It was an off-spinner. Uh, our lad has put his leg way outside off stump and played a forward block, hit the pad, uh, the ball trickles out. The the um, the wicketkeeper, who I think was also their captain, kind of appealed, but like as a joke, as a, as a comedy appeal. Hey, as he, uh, our umpire in his in his genius and in his in his classiness up to a point, he just didn't really know where the line was. He gave our lad out. He stood there, our lad, for a good, I don't know, hour and a half, it felt at the time, <laughs> and uh, started to trudge off. And he'd left his leg in that place, well outside of some, for so long that even the most one-eyed competitive of the, of the opposition could see clearly that he wasn't out. He 
trudged about 15 yards off when their their uh, keeper stroke um, captain looked back and then had an attack of conscience and called him back and withdrew the appeal. Now, of course, in cricket, you can do that. You can withdraw the appeal. And so the decision, and it was in a big game as well. This was in a big game and we were in a good position at the time in a top of the table match. You know, we were 90 odd for one at the time. So it was a touch of class by the bloke to call it, to call our lad back, actually. Um, then a little bit of karma. He was out next over, obviously. <laughs> so it goes. But it was it was a nice it was a nice little kind of vignette into the eccentricities of cricket. On the one hand, you have an umpire who shouldn't really be there, but he's doing a favour to the club. He doesn't really know the nuances of the LBW rule. Shouldn't really be standing there, but he's given up his Saturday. And then you have a joke appeal turned on 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 a on a conscience moment. So yeah, that's that's my little one. But as I say, I've been racking my brains for other ones. I've got a lot more in the other camp, in the negative camp, than I have in the positive. Do you think the umpire just didn't know the um, the LBW law? One and only time I've ever seen him umpire, um, and yeah, he was he was helping out. Let's say, um, uh, yeah, he he didn't do much of the second innings. There was a conversation that took place at tea, and there was a shaking of the hands. Anyway, that's <laughs> another story. You got any? Firstly, serious respect to the keeper, though. Um, yeah, it was. If the opposition umpire gives out one of his own players LBW. However, however bad the decision is, you know, there, there is no obligation at all to recall the player. No, there isn't. Aside from that voice in the back of your head, which is in all cricketers' brains on a Saturday afternoon, we're paying money to do this. We're giving up our time to do this. We don't mind mm. maybe getting the odd marginal, but when your foot is, when your leg is about three yards <laughs> outside of stump, then yeah, yeah, yeah you, 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 you do, you're not expected to do the decent thing, but it was heartening to see that, that, it was still be, you know, within this bloke's capabilities. And we had a good laugh and a drink about it afterwards, you know, and I now look back on that game and that club a lot more fondly than I would have done at the start of the day, you know, and, and maintaining that kind of trust between the two teams when you have amateur umpires uh, is obviously a part of the battle of the game. That's an interesting point, the, the trust element, knowing that when you're playing the game, you're not, you're not worried at all about any, any cheating basically taking place. You've, the, the game is much more fun to play in is you can just play the game for what it is. You're not worrying about anything else. Um, exactly. It's a social contract, really, that you enter into. Um, and, and if you start to bend the rules, uh, and if you start to try and take liberties, you know, institute a little bit of kind of professionalism into it, a bit of gamesmanship into it, then, then the, whole, the whole structure starts to, starts to wobble. You, you just can't do that in club cricket. So it relies mm. on that kind of, kind of two-way trust thing between the two teams. And obviously now you you know you move towards questions of walking really because that's on the other side of the ledger, um, and while in professional cricket I don't have an issue with players not walking, uh, I have a lot more of an issue with it in club cricket when you are uh, putting reluctant umpires under obscene amounts of pressure, and if you know that you've nicked it you've got to walk you have to walk in club cricket. So I don't have that many stories of, I mean, I couldn't really think of anything that I've seen that's really showed remarkable sportsmanship in any game of cricket that I've played in, I've been in. And walking's quite interesting because that's the real opportunity that you get to show off yeah. the sportsman in you. Personally, I'm actually kind of the opposite, partly bla- partly based on my own experiences. So as, as a bowler, I've had so many wickets where, where I should have got the wickets. I mean, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the story uh, where there was a caught behind not given because the umpire blamed the bells. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one extreme example. But so many times have I had, I've had instances where I think I should have got a wicket for a batsman who's nicked it and they've not walked. 
So when I bat, I've actually never had a, a scenario where I've nicked one, the umpire's not given it, and I could have walked and didn't. Right. But I, I, I would never walk because I, I know I've missed out on so many wickets myself. And also, linked to it, but not quite the same, I do feel that not enough LBWs are given, especially when you have players from the batsman's club umpiring when you're when you're bowling. So I, I think probably because of my own experiences, I think it, I think it's fine fine not to walk, basically. Yeah, and and look, this is a call that we've done on a Saturday morning. Um, I've yet to really rub the the sleep out of my eyes. The truth of it is that it is a more nuanced issue. Um, just just me saying you sh- you've got to walk. It, it is it is a bit more complex than that, and I, I appreciate that. I re- I remember there was a piece that. Um, ran in a magazine that I was involved in a few years ago, written by Nick Campion, who's, um, you know, he's, he's a good cricket writer and he's, he's well involved in the game and he writes freelance for various different publications. Um, and he he's a big club cricketer and he advocated um, the banning walking, actually removing the responsibility of walking, the moral dilemma that people face to walk or not to walk, he actually advocated in order to try and make for a more harmonious game. He advocated the the um, the yeah the, the prevention of walking, the removal of walking as an option for a batsman. Um, him believing that you know that kind of moral ambiguity that attaches itself uh, to was it a nick, was it not? Should you walk? Should you not? Well, that only creates aggro between the teams in the long run. And it only fractures at the heart of, of, of club cricket and the conviviality of, of club cricket. And I thought that was quite an interesting idea. It was quite, an, quite a kind of out-the-box approach to it. I don't know if that's really workable in real time. Um, uh, it's, but it's, it's an interesting approach to a moral conundrum, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think I, I get what you're saying. About, like, umpires always make mistakes. And, you know, in theory, it makes sense for people to help them out. But I think one thing that... DRS has shown in international cricket is that players genuinely don't know if they've nicked it or not. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. You see, you see players call for reviews for LBWs when they have nicked it, and vice versa. They they review ones where they have nicked it. So it's not as simple as if you're a bowler, you hear a sound away from the bat, the umpire, mu- sorry, the batsman must know he's hit it and he's refusing to walk. He might genuinely not know that he's hit it. So it's not even a moral question. It's you're right, and, we, and we've talked about this before, that um, DRS has thrown up this quite profound uh, reality in cricket. That, And you can see when batsmen review, absolutely convinced that they haven't hit it, and then you see the nick and so on and so on, and it works both ways. You, we've seen this, and this has blown one of, the, one of the sort of truisms of the game out of the water, that you always know if you've nicked it. How many times when I was growing up did I hear that? both in club cricket, but also on the telly watching professional cricket, oh, well, you know when you nicked it. You always know when you've nicked it. Well, you don't, actually. Uh, and so, again, it sort of further complicates this issue, I suppose. In my head, I can honestly say that I've always walked when I've nicked it. I've never knowingly stood there um, uh, when I'm aware that I've nicked it. But there will probably be occasions when I have nicked it, thought that I haven't, and stood there. So... You know, the more the more we discuss this, the more entangled we become. I think in, in it. So maybe Nick Campion was right. Get, yeah. <laughs> get rid of it. Ten year ban if you walk. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about it. I actually, actually, there was one opportunity for me to walk in a game and I didn't do it. It was it was actually a run out, bizarrely. So it was the 
towards the end of uh, our innings, we'd done quite well. We'd got more than 200. And we were just basically scrambling for quick, silly runs at the end of the innings. And the direct hit, and I was so far out. And quite similar to the story that you told, their umpire was the person who uh, was adjudicating the run-out call. He said not out. And it was actually, I felt a bit sheepish standing there because I was like, I know I'm out. Um, and uh, the opposition were were furious with their own umpire and it got a little bit ugly in that um, the umpire basically lost his call a little bit and shouted back at the players saying, I'm giving up my, he said, he said, I'm giving up my time to, to umpire you guys, listen, listen to the, listen and respect my decisions. But yeah, in that, in that one instance, it didn't really cross my mind that I could walk there. But it would have been very difficult because then you'd have been undermining the umpire as well, you know. And so, yeah. however it looks for that poor fella who's, mm. who's kept his finger in his pocket, he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't. If you walk off, then kind of questions his, you know, his, his eyesight. And if you stand mm. there, then it questions his integrity. <laughs> yeah, then, exactly. Yeah, so when I was genuinely trying quite hard to think of times I've seen good acts of sportsmanship on the cricket field, I really, really was struggling. I think most of the teams I played for, particularly when I was younger, weren't exactly winning many fair play points. Mm. Um, so in terms of the opposite, one one individual stands out in my memory. Um, my club in youth, in, in youth cricket, we were probably the second best team in our league. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we always have like quite good matches with the team that was probably the third best. And our coaches couldn't have been two more different characters. Our coach was this very calm New Zealander who never ever raised his voice or never got too emotionally invested in what was going on yeah. kind of kept perspective that this was just kids cricket and theirs was a guy who would fight for, for every run for his team and <laughs> given the fact that the, that the coaches were the umpires uh, it meant that there were quite a few contentious decisions from his end and like uh, sometimes it would be things just like being far more lenient on wide calls when his side were bowling compared to when his sides uh, were batting um, but there's one there's one moment that stands out, which was which stands out because of the reaction of our coach, who was normally very very calm. So this is probably like an under 12s or under 13 game, and one of our batsmen has played and missed the last ball of the over off a spinner, and I guess kind of dozily walks out the crease to chat to his partner. The keeper whips the bells off and appeals for a stumping, and their umpire basically insisted that the kid had to be given out, um, even though it was like quite clearly the end of the over. And, you know, he wasn't out of his crease because he'd been bamboozled or decided to come yeah. down the wicket. Yeah. And our coach strongly protested and the game had to be stopped for a little bit. Um, and I can't actually remember uh, who got their way in the end, but that stood out. The same thing happened to me when I was about nine or ten in one of my earliest cricket games. And I dawdled out of the crease, having left one or missed one or whatever outside off. And, and uh, you know, the smart, smart-ass keeper just removed a bail, appealed, and, and square leg umps gave me out. And I had to walk. Funny enough, it taught me a lesson. You know, I, I never, ever got close to making that kind of dozy mistake again. I'm not saying that that coach, that kind of, you know, Brian Glover style up and atom coach was right to make that call. But you can guarantee that that poor lad, the batsman, wouldn't have done it again. Guarantee yeah. it. 100%. 100%. We've had quite a few stories sent in from, from our listeners. Right, go um, I enjoy this one from Mark Townsend. I was once batting with a cocky kid in the year below who was on 99 not out. We needed nine to win and I managed to hit the next two balls for four and six into the pavilion to win the match. It was the best life lesson he'll ever have had. Which is pretty good. 
That's, that's very good. That is yeah, very, very good. Very good. Um, Daniel Graveling sends this story in. This is great. In the Fife Cup final a couple of years ago, where clubs nominated their own umpires, yeah. the opposition needed five runs to win off the last ball of the game. The bowler bowled a wide delivery, which the batsman got across to and hit for four. The umpire gave a four and a wide, despite <laughs> the fact the batsman hit the ball. It was ludicrous, and people on the field started squaring up to the umpire. Toys were thrown out the pram. I mean, that's just getting the laws of the game badly wrong. Yeah, yeah, that, that is scrambled, to say the least. It's remarkable that that, that fella uh, ended up standing in the middle at any, at any point, even knowing which way to look, let alone which signal to, to make. I was yeah. impressive. You don't often cream one through the covers and get a wide and an extra ball. <laughs> how, how do you signal that? Like, do you give the wide first? Do you give you four? And then how do you put that in the scorebook? Yeah, God knows. God knows. <laughs> I, just think, you know, I just think you burn the book and move on. Um, just going back to the first one, just very briefly, I played a, an Essex youth team game and um, I was maybe 14, 15 and Graham Napier, I was batting and Graham Napier came out to bat after me and I was on 40-something, uh, and we were winning the game, and he'd just come out to bat. We needed about five or six, four or five to win, and I was within reach of a 50. Uh, and he said, spinner comes on, and he's only just got there. He said, I'm just going to pat it down the ground, just going to pat it down the ground to long on. And the spinner bowled it. It might not have been his first ball, but it was no more than his second or third, and he just sort of patted it over the sight screen to win the game, um, and then sort of just shrugged his shoulders. And Graham being Graham, genuinely, he wouldn't have meant to do that. He wouldn't have meant to smack it 80, 80 metres over the sight screen at 14 years old. He would have been thinking, just get the one, get Phil to his 50. But no, no, that, that, was, that was Graham for you. <laughs> I, know, I know he was a, he's a very powerful player, but I, I find it hard to believe that maybe he accidentally hit the ball for six when trying well, to... Well, you might find it hard to believe, but I can tell you for sure that, that was the case. I can absolutely tell you for sure. He didn't have a, didn't have a bad bone in his body, Graham Napier. He didn't have no side to him. Um, he would have he would have been trying to do the right thing for his teammate, uh, but just got more power than he than he knew what to do with. Uh, he was a freak then, and he's and he's he was a freak throughout his career, really. Anyway, mm. moving on. So remarkably, we have been sent in two stories that concern the same player. No, we're going to keep the player's name and the club's name anonymous. But we're yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's about the same player. It's the it's the wicketkeeper of of the same club team. Story A, our number three nicked it. The keeper dived one handed. He got a solid hand on it, but dropped the ball when it when he hit the ground. The umpire didn't see the ball hit the ground because his body was obscuring the umpire's view. The keeper then picked the ball up from the floor and claimed the catch. The worst part was he died with his left hand. He picked it up and claimed it with his right hand, which is I mean, that, that that's pretty bad. It's also, it's also known as the Steve War move. Uh, Brian Lara, where was it? Jamaica, I think it was nineteen ninety nine series. He's on sixty odds, smashes it to War at backward point, maybe in the gully. Uh, he parries it with one hand, picks it up with the other, claims the catch, and Lara goes. And Australia won the won the Test match. So story story B isn't quite as bad. It's more just unfortunate for the batsman. So the batsman says. I tucked one down to fine leg and was running to the other end. I looked over my shoulder before running the second and saw that the keeper had gone down and pretended to throw. So I refused a second run, thinking at the time that he had the ball in his hand. 
the crucial bit of this story is yeah. the, the batsman claims this happened two weeks before the five-run penalty for fake fielding came in. In theory, the, the keeper didn't actually do anything wrong. That wasn't illegal. Though. No, indeed. Indeed. If it hadn't been outlawed, then he's, he's, just, he's just doing mm. Johnny Bairstow, isn't he? You know, he's just, just, just repeating what he sees on the telly. Also, I never quite understood the, the, the hoo-ha around that. I just think it's a little oh, bit yeah. cheekiness. I, I remember, um, I, I don't know why this sticks out, but I remember going to an ODI uh, at Lords. It may, it may not have been an ODI, it might have been a county game, um, where Jim Troughton was playing, and he did this brilliant bit of, right. brilliant bit of fake Jim. fielding, where the batsman, I think it was a left-hander, creamed it through the covers, and Troughton dived and faked a, a pick-up and, and, and throw, and it probably threw me. Yeah. Um, I thought it was quite cool. I thought it was clever. I didn't. Re- it didn't really occur to me that it was uh, unsporting to to do fake fielding. Um, I always used to quite like it when I was younger. When somebody on our team, somebody would uh, a ball would go towards a boundary, and a fielder or the keeper shouts "Good arm" before the, the guy actually started to throw the ball. Yeah. It's like if the, bat- if the batsmen want to make a run, they should <laughs> look at where the ball is. They shouldn't rely on other noises. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. One of the classics. That good arm. Yeah. Always throw that one in. There. I guess that. Yeah. I, I um, like that. Anymore? So we've got we've got. It's not it's not a story, but just just a comment from um, Matthew Owen, which I think sums up most of these stories quite well. Nothing selfless ever happens on a cricket field. Every man for himself. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a positive upswing uh, of a point by, by Mr. Owen, isn't it? Yeah. Kind kind of kind of. I, I suppose. You know, there's an argument, philosophical argument. There are no selfless good deeds out there, but yeah, I, I don't know. I can't help feeling that that cricket, cricket, while it's a peculiarly individual game wrapped up in this notion of a team, it still produces nigh on selfless paragon figures uh, here and there. Um, if you don't mind, Yaz, I'd like to just mention uh, one of those such characters, a fellow who who died a couple of weeks ago. Um, well into his 80s by this point. The, the man's called Hayden Davis. Now, that name will ring out to, to a lot of people involved in cricket around around the London, East London, Essex area. Hayden was just a, a marvellous human being and a towering presence uh, who ran um, generally the Essex under 14 age group side, but that was just one string of many bows for him. He was a teacher throughout his life in East London and there was rarely a day that went by when he wasn't organising a game of cricket, ferrying uh, young cricketers from one part of the country to the other. Um, he would do the fixtures, he'd do the venue, he'd do the tees, he'd do the transport, he'd do the lot. Um, he gave himself utterly and completely to the game of cricket. And he was a beautiful and kind and generous um, giant of a man from Wales. Good cricketer, played Glamorgan twos, apparently. Not that he would ever talk about such things. We call him the BFG. Uh, and he was a lovely, lovely man. He saw Cook, Neil Foster, Jimmy, James Foster, NASA, Bapara. He saw them all come through. It have helped them all. He received a lifetime award from the English Schools Cricket Association a few years ago for 50 years. And despite having joined it all in 1958 in East London, he was still active, still sorting out the fixtures uh, up until the summer of 2018. So that is quite a life given up to the game. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to give a word to one of the great men that I've ever known in the game of cricket. There are many others like Hayden, but but no one quite like him. A glorious man. And uh, I just wanted to dedicate this show to him, really. So there you go. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And what, what way to end the show? Cheers, Phil. No, no worries. Yeah, there's no worries at all. Cheers. Thanks, listeners. If you've enjoyed the show, why not tell a mate? And if you're feeling especially kind, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app? Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.